There's some language used in this episode that comes right up to the edge of maybe a slur. It's in the context of the conversation about what happens to Sal and it just might make you uncomfortable. So letting you know. Also, there was a small issue with the sound. Sorry about that. Finally, I mention a documentary series called Pride that is on Hulu. Anyway, here we are. Sal's getting fired. Happy Pride. Let's get to it. Mad Men, a term coined in the late 1950s to describe the advertising executives of Madison Avenue. They coined it. It sounds like pride, but I want Hiltons all over the world. I want a Hilton on the moon. That's where we're headed. Welcome to They Coined It. Hey, Roberta. Hello, Dan. How are you doing today? You know what, Dan? Doing well. Doing well. <laughs> I went I went to a cheesecake factory last night. All right, let's start which, with that. That's like big goals after a year. How long did you wait for your table? You know, they gave us 30 minutes and um, and we went back into the mall. It was first time in a mall. Half the stores were closed. Half of them were closed because of the hours. It was weird. Uh, and then I think they, I think it was only 15 minutes on that 30 minutes. All Good right. story, right? That's great. That's all. Did your buzzer <laughs> work or did you have to go look at it and go, is this thing working? They text you. Oh boy. All right. Times change. So what I found interesting here is there's a little Betty Carla in this, like some Looks of recognition, right? I think Carla certainly knows what Betty's up to with this Henry Francis character. She wasn't subtle in no. terms of like reading it from the audience perspective. No, no, yeah, right. It was a bit of a the 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 eye roll version of a stage whisper, I guess. But Carla and Betty have a different exchange when they're listening to the radio. And this is obviously the heart of the civil rights movement. This is the summer of the March on Washington. And Betty and Carla have a brief exchange about you know, and Betty, I think on the face of it is um, polite. Do you need some time off? And Carla's clearly, con- you know, got concern on her face from from the news. And then Betty says, maybe it's just not supposed to happen right now. Like in regards to, I think, the the bombing, the church bombing. Wah, wah. Right? And, and it is. I mean, that, was, that was a definite wah, wah. Truly. But, but it's something that <laughs> it's so interesting because Carla's reaction was almost like, well, let's start with today. Let, let's say that exchange took place today. You have a, a house help, you know, a domestic help, and you have a, a, a white homeowner and th- that exact situation taking place today. The black person would very rightly call that person out. Like, it w- like today, that's a completely unacceptable thing to say. You would never say or accept hearing someone tell you, maybe now's not the right time. African American, maybe now's not the right time. Homosexual, maybe now, you know, it, it's it's a completely unacceptable thing to even to really express today. I think um, in in terms of in terms of civil rights, not that people don't think it or say you know, but t- to say it out loud to someone of that group is would not happen today. Number I, one, I disagree. I think you wouldn't say it. I wouldn't say it. I think look around this country and are you kidding me? No, I, I hear what you're saying. I'm, I'm trying to, re- I want to recalibrate what I'm saying. I, I'm not saying it wouldn't ever be said. I'm saying that it would not be accepted by the other person. You think black Carla, people aren't still swallowing shit from white people? That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but that but that concept of it, of of you don't deserve your rights right now. It's going to have to wait. There's another time. I don't know when, but this is just not the time for this. What they that's what they say every time gun issues come up. And I know that's a, a different that's different not altogether this category, right. but that's there is but this. but that is the 
The argument know, going it, down, this isn't the right time. Yeah, that was right. <laughs> and that's a that's a very specifically business and political thing to say to avoid change. But on the social side, I don't think that sentiment is let's put let, let me put this in a way that I think will be accurate. Um the tolerance for that is is almost down to zero. You're right that it's it's said all the time and people have to swallow shit. I get that. But I'm saying in terms of like all of society, it is almost down to zero, the tolerance for that kind of sentiment. Let me try. Okay. I think you know what I'm trying I to do. say. I do. Yeah. Because I think you're statistically inaccurate. Possibly. In your assertion of it's down to zero. Okay. But what there is, is a, a greater awareness across certain portions of the culture, our bubble, and you and I are have interlocking overlapping bubbles. We're not identical, True. right? But right. I think there is a greater awareness of how unacceptable a sentiment that is. Right. In addition to the like, uh, not in addition to, beyond just the, oh, I shouldn't say that it's politically incorrect. It's There's a bigger, there's a greater awareness of like, th that's nonsense. Well, it wasn't politically incorrect at all back then is my point. I'm saying now beyond just, oh, you should not ever say that. It's, it's, mm. There is a greater awareness of no, no, no. That's not where we are. On the face of it, right? Yeah, does not is not appropriate. I just think I think where you're where you've gone with with the assertion that it's kind of disappeared or that it's it's prevalent it's prevalent it's it's you're forgetting about bubbles when you say that. You're, you're, that's you're, what I'm. I, I, no, I think I I think you're right. But but what struck me is that it was it was acceptable to say standing there in her kitchen between an employee and an employer, or rather between an employer and an employee, and that. Car the look on Carla's face was not one of disgust. She wasn't agreeing, but she didn't sort of like scrunch up her nose and go, what are you, what are you talking about? You know, like it wasn't anything like that. It was, there was, it was almost like a, res a resigned look of, well, you know what? It's out of our control and it's not the right thing. But what Betty said might be the case. And I don't know. And these are tough times. That's what I saw in Carla's face. It wasn't like, it wasn't like, lady, you have no idea what we're going through. Get out of here. It, it wasn't that because that's not what the look on Carla's face was. I saw, I just saw the resignation to, this is the shit I got to listen to from white people. I don't think she, I don't think she entertained that this might not be the right time. I thought, I think it was, I cannot show my fuck you. I cannot Maybe. eye roll because this time, as opposed to what I said earlier, the looks we saw about Henry were not facing Betty. It was, you know, right. she was, yeah. she was upstage of Betty facing us. But in this case, it was the look of, suppressed reaction. <laughs> well, I guess there's an interpretation on that too. I mean, it's, it's sure. hard to know, but you're right. I mean, it, it could be that. I think black consciousness, not that I'm one, to, not that I'm an ex expert on black consciousness, but I, I do think that it was still emerging at that point and wasn't, wasn't necessarily at this place where you could automatically know what the recipient of that comment was thinking because the culture was in a different place. So two things. And now I've got two things. One is we are two white people in 2021 trying to figure out what was happening what a, in the black men. And we are not we, we are not black. And so we don't have we don't have an oral history and we are not historians. So that's why nor am I coming at it from that perspective. But yes, the second thing is what this really speaks to is the ought referenced sentiment that Carla so skillfully played by Deborah Lacey is an underexplored character. We should be able to get a little more answer to this question. What was Carla's experience right there? That if, would be worth if it. If we had ever right fucking yeah. followed her home one time. Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate. It's it's just unfortunate. No, I think that's valid. So the hillbilly says, that ain't my finger. 
<laughs> well, there's a lot of that, right? We do we do, uh, we do a lot of, especially with clients and and the account people in this series, uh, a lot of that punchline only humor, right? <laughs> No, it's like it's like I the was opposite. talking to her, right? Exactly. It's like the opposite of the Breakfast Club, right? You get the whole setup in the Breakfast Club of the joke when 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 Bender is crawling through the ceiling shaft, and you never get oh, the punchline. Right. Yeah. But go. yeah, you can look. There's websites devoted to punchlines only. But that one certainly is. What's interesting about that is that is a. I mean, I just meant to throw it out there. It's clearly a dirty joke. It's right. clearly some kind of penis reference, and it is Pete Campbell to Lee Garner Jr. <laughs> and of course, that's the humor there. <laughs> For real. Assholes. And a hillbilly joke, which makes it, what is that, two two in a row? Hillbilly jokes and maybe. Oh, I didn't even, I didn't even, I didn't even focus on the hillbilly part. There you, and what if he came in and was just like, just going to be you and me? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, um, hillbilly goes all the way back to like, you know, what we're going to get to later, which is Connie saying to Don, you know, you're even better than my sons because they don't get it because you're a fucking hillbilly is basically what he's saying right there. We Small Hours was written by Davi Waller and Matthew Weiner, directed by Scott Hornbacher. Original air date was October 11th, 2009. Takes place over August 28th to September 18th, 1963. This is the episode where we realize that Connie Hilton is now very much in Don's life, calling him at all hours at the house. Don has a creative team working on Hilton, and they're going through concepts in preparation for a pitch to... To Connie. Betty and Henry are corresponding, resulting in a fundraiser and their first fight. Lee Garner Jr. comes on to Sal and ultimately has him fired. And Don and who's Don and Suzanne finally do it. So that's actually a lot. That's a lot going on for one episode of Mad Men, Ness. Well, you know, it's episode nine. So that's when things start to accelerate. The, every all, all the seeds that have been being planted, things start to really hustle right around here. Um I hate this episode. <laughs> I was just going to say, it covers a lot of ground, right? It's two full client A stories, you could say, Lucky Strike and, and Hilton. Uh, there's Betty and her goings on. There's Don and his goings on. And and the full sort of extra story of Don and Connie, which which is worth really some focus. And Sal. And Sal. Well, yeah, that's the Lucky Strike piece. But yeah. There's absolutely. major, 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 major movement here. When I say I hate this episode... It's great television. It's just, it's the, everybody's terrible. I can't stand anybody. I don't want any of this to be happening. First time watching Mad Men, Roberta? Spoiler. <laughs> I'm no fan of Don and Suzanne. <laughs> yeah, really. I'm no fan of Sal being fired. And uh-huh. All right. Do you want me to just do the solo? You want to Are we? Out? Can we just get right <laughs> to quotes? <or? laughs> well, look, I think, I think, um, we can start with Don and Connie because we immediately realize that when Connie says your life's going to change, this is what Connie means, right? You're going to get calls from me. And that's, <laughs> I want to stop right there because Connie, um, I think nowadays, maybe I'm sure it's technology driven in terms of I can email you and I can text you, but I think the the tolerance for 3 a.m. calls from clients at your house, if you're not a Fortune 500 CEO if you're not, uh, I don't know, a brain surgeon or something on call, there are really very few, and maybe, you know, let's say in the advertising world, very few issues that are going to make your phone ring at 3 a.m. from a client with with an ordinary issue. 
And I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm saying it was probably more acceptable then. Don's Don's a partner and he's a creative director, but there's nothing about these issues that Connie could not call him with at 9 a.m. the next morning. No, he's he's just abusing him. This is just what he does. He's just uh, I think a lot of this. I think a lot of this episode is about crossing boundaries, pushing things as far as you can, crossing over and and power plays. Connie can start every conversation at 3 a.m. and saying, hi, it's Connie Hilton. I'm allowed to call you at 3 a.m. Because that's that's the subtext of each time. There's a little bit of gaslighting there, too, because the next time he calls and it's only 1130, he says, and he's woken them up, but it's only 1130, which is less abusive. (laughs) But he says, but this is now the second one. We've already seen the 3 a.m. one. Mm. And what he says is, I know it's a you know, there's a privilege here for me to be able right. to call you at home. You're right, which is perfunctory. Which is, right. which is calling you at home really isn't the issue. It's, <laughs> That's right. it's the you waking- didn't, You didn't interrupt the, my dinner. Yeah, it's the waking my baby and me yeah. and giving me an assignment or calling me in for it. Like, it's like just the, the way he said that was so- Need, like one more needle. Like I know it's I like I'm so a humble in knowing that it's a it's a privilege. It's it's privilege that allows me to call you at home. Like that's yeah. what I did. Like that's the, <laughs> right. like that's the yeah. trespass. That's the fourth <laughs> item on the list of what you just did. Right. Exactly. Um, correct. And if you somehow had the ear of a huge, you know, Titan CEO and were on his mind and were he was calling you at home at all nowadays. It's it would still not result in a 3 a.m. call. That's my point. It would you'd get texts, you get emails, maybe you'd be expected to get back to him right away with a response or something, but it would not be the phone ringing. <laughs> That's because we use phones less, but still. But it but it wouldn't have been 20 years ago or 30, whatever. It's listen, you and I both have worked in industries, <laughs> you know, this mm-hmm. industry or or similar ones. We're, you know. Yeah. We've all we've heard the expression work emergency. This is an emergency yeah. way more times than we can count. You know, what's a work emergency? You know, guy getting his foot run over yeah, there by you a go. tractor. That's a work emergency. There's no such thing as a work emergency. But this is all part of the Connie Khan on Don <laughs> is is the setup and 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 grooming him. You know, Don's looking for a, a father figure as much as Connie's looking for a son figure. Basically, it looks like, uh, except except Connie's, you know, 100% in the driver's seat. And but this whole thing is is it's weird because it, it it's a very madman kind of setup because we know how they met and it was so charming and we were so delighted. I think when we saw who this guy was, oh, it's Connie Hilton. Don's going to get this great account. It's going to put him right back on top. We love that and we love watching it. And it's exhilarating as a viewer, as a fan, to watch. The ride, you know, the the roller coaster go up to the top of the <laughs> to the top of the hill, um, and it is thrilling. And we knew because it's Mad Men, there's going to be an underside to this. There's going to be a a negative to go with this great positive. But we didn't know what or how. And Connie's emotional abuse of Don at times like that, we don't even know it's happening really until later in the episode. I don't think. Um, we like the idea somehow of Don getting called in to have a drink of the moonshine with Connie and you're my son. We, I think we're still, we don't realize that that's emotional abuse at that point. At least I didn't realize just how manipulative Connie was being because we haven't seen both sides just yet. This is what I've seen this viewing that I talked about when we, when in guy walks into an ad agency, into an ad, in guy, uh, advertising agency. I, I saw it then in this 
in this viewing this year. I saw it in that second episode. I was like, oh, I see. I thought he was charming and he was shitty. He was abusive and manipulative from the beginning. Right, the way he asked Don for the for the advice. Yeah. And- I've been I've been I've been on top of this this time. I was and I was I missed it completely the first time, but I see it. I'm I mean, I have we have different sensitivities to these things. I definitely I, I and and even in this episode, when the phone rang the first time and the answer and there was no I know this is crazy that I'm calling you at this hour and I can't even believe I'm doing this. There wasn't any of that. I was like, oh, this is not good. Going back to a first viewing in the way that it's written in the way that you view it, you you really don't see the manipulation in real time. We've all seen the whole the trajectory of the relationship at this point, so we are clued in a little bit how how you know what what this is about watching it on a repeat watch. I think it's designed that way. I wonder if I wonder who picked it up because it's there. It's in the text. It's, in it's the, there. No, no, no. It's, in the same way there. that so much is hiding in plain sight in Mad Men, you know. But the fact that Connie is so goddamn charming is a you know is is a real uh, is a real barrier to seeing some of the stuff for what it is, which is how Don sees him, obviously, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to just throw it out to, to the to the listeners. Coiners, does anybody remember being on top of that from the beginning? I'd love to know. Yeah. If you were if you were a viewer who was like, oh, this guy is shady and manipulative from Guy Walks In, because that's mm-hmm. where that's where he meets it. That's where we find out who he is. And I'm not saying it's it's not perce- I'm not saying you can't perceive that. I'm saying um, it's a really uh, well done maneuver from a writing standpoint that yes, it's there, but no, it's not really visible in that first, in that, that first time through. I agree. It's very, very well executed. You are so charmed by him and it is all mushed together. The, the, the bad boundaries uh, and the charm, which is by the way, if anybody has ever hung out with a toxic sociopathic manipulator, um, they are often the most charming, right? <laughs> exactly. Like that is that is legit. It's kind of a job qualification. Yeah. So, right, exactly. And, and we're blinded. This is a Hilton. Connie's angle might not be more than that. Connie's angle might just be, uh, I'm manipulating Don because I saw you were a mark the minute you made me that drink and I knew who you were and I figured out how I can leverage this. Uh, so yeah, this is what I do. Don't, don't, don't ask why I do it. It's what I do. I'm, uh, this is, this is how I run my life. But anyway, Don's now in 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 the vortex, the Connie vortex. So it goes on throughout the episode. We will get to the the pitch in a bit. But um, I think I think the setup is fascinating, and I love it. I love watching it. I really do. Um, I enjoy those things. I think probably more than Roberta does. But I do like to like things. I do like to like people. I do want to have some good feelings about what's going on, and I. I agree that perhaps this is the wrong show for me yes, <laughs> in, right. in that way. <laughs> and I've, I've changed over the years with that too. You know, I think that's, I think I've, I've gotten more, if anything, more, I don't know, more, just more like less tolerant, <laughs> less tolerant of these privileged white guys on TV. So, but I mean, I was never comfortable with this episode and for, for all the reasons. And again, it's, it's brilliantly done. It's just, it's not, I'm sort it's of watching it with one eye closed and, you know, my arm like, do I like squinting? Like, I don't want to watch it. I, don't wanna... I think I'm less susceptible to that element than I am to look at all the cool stuff going on yeah. or look at all these great moments or scenes. And yeah, it's like, no one wants to see Sal fired, but hey, that's... <laughs> It was it was done in a way that was really interesting. So that's the second sort of office business is this Lee Garner and Sal and Lucky Strike. He was drunk as a skunk and he's scary to begin with. What are you going to do? Call Campbell? That's the other thing he said to keep it between us. 
What are you going to do? Lee Garner Jr. comes on to Sal. He rebuffs and 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 it gets back to the office and, and Lee Garner then has him fired. It's interesting that you've got these two very powerful clients who are manipulative and abusive. You know, abusive is 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 maybe more is maybe more a gray area with Don, but he's but let's set that aside. Let's set let's set parsing that word as it applies over there aside. Mm. You've got these two men wielding their dicks and their power. Correct. And to to great to great up uh, destruction and upending, particularly in, in this case. And you know, going back to you've got the thing where Lee makes Pete Campbell smoke a cigarette. <laughs> I mean, that is that is such a brilliant setup for what happens. And then later when Sal uses the word bully, which was so um, present of him, right? Yes. It, he was so as, yes. as, as emotionally upheaving, as devastating as he's sitting there and his whole life is falling apart and his body is quivering inside and he's keeping it pretty together. He comes up with bully, you know, which is quite accurate. But you go mm-hmm. back to that. I mean, that was him and Pete Campbell. That is a, you know, we get, we missed it in, I think you miss it in the scene because what you're watching is it's hilarious. Pete trying to smoke and that whole like, ah, that's very funny. That's a little bit of, that's a little bit of madman comedy moment, but in, but it, it, it's bigger than that because it really sets up. That is a schoolyard bully move. Correct. And, right. and you, you could have literally lifted them, put them onto a schoolyard, make them little, and you would have seen a different scene. It's a it's another data point on who Lee Garner is, in case we forgot. But 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 my point is, I think this all comes to a head when all the sequence of calling Harry and Harry overthinks it and ends up doing nothing. <laughs> he should have gone right to Roger, full stop, in a practical sense. He was told not to, yeah, but he overthought it and he talked himself out of doing it. And this time, and of course, with Harry and his history of bumbling, you know, which he's going to screw he references, it up. I'm not going to I'm not going to panic and do the wrong thing again. And yet, and yet. <laughs> It's because we're in very rich waters that, that that all happens so well. But it all winds up in Don's office with Harry, you know, stammering. Don tells him to go and Sal sits down. Now, in this season, we have the history of Don and Sal down in Baltimore in the pilot, in the series opener. Season. We're done. <laughs> season opener. You've never. Series opener? I can't get it right. Out of town. 3.0. You've only screwed this stuff up this season. It's very funny. Every which way. But we have that, That speaking of data points. Now, Don knows Sal's, say he's homosexual, he's married, he likes men. We could just say that. And and the, the direction that we've been given is that Don has expressed a certain amount of tolerance in so much as I'm not going to fire you, I'm not going to get you fired, I'm not going to go back to the office and call you a homo. Like, there's just sort of a tolerance there that might may or may not have been out uh, uh, unusual for that time. We talked about this when we discussed out of town. This was the great misinterpretation of the viewer from the intention of the script. And I know this because Matthew Weiner has said it, that limit your exposure was meant as a warning. Correct. And none of us that I know, and again, coiners would love, would love to hear if you can recall what your first impression was from the first viewing of out of town, what did you think happened on that plane? Did you think Don was saying, watch your fucking ass, which is what the intention of the script was? Or did you think it was just limit your exposure and you'll be fine? Because that's how everyone I know took it. Yeah. And that is not 
we, apparently we were also supposed to see this coming in some way or another, not literally, not, not that we could predict the firing, but that this was Don's perspective. Right. Right. That he had been warned. So. And that we, and that we knew there was a lot of hostility from Don about this topic. We didn't. You're absolutely right for bringing that up. Cause I, I certainly didn't look at it thinking that even though I, I knew that story about Matthew's explanation, it still, it still rang to me as um, a tolerance, benign tolerance, but tolerance. Yeah. Maybe an arm's length tolerance. Yeah. Right. Like I'm just not judging you. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying, you know what? You have to be careful about that, Sal. And I, maybe it was more personal. Sal, I care about you. I don't want to see this harm you, limit your exposure, but not like foreboding or that strike one. Right. Anyway, by the time he sits down in front of Don, we know that these two people know this about Sal and the conversation that takes place where he says what happened, what Lee Garner Jr. did. I backed him off. He was embarrassed. He left. You know, we think, Don, again, as the viewer who thinks it was a little bit more innocuous, thinks Don's going to- um, Believe him. The Don, yeah, believe him or, or that his tolerance would sort of win the day again. But he didn't, obviously. And, and that's not what happened. However, what I look at it and say, you know, oh, that, you know, oh, you couldn't because you were married, right? Like, that's why- you, this couldn't have happened. And I, I have a lot of questions about what's what Don's angle is. And I, I would look at it and go, well, Don's the guy who like, you know, slept with Bobby Barrett in a work situation. <laughs> to, to You could call it taking one for the team. You could call it anything you want. But he's not above um, getting seduced by someone in the workplace. I don't have any questions. Okay. Well, let me just go through mine. If this were not a not a gay man that Don was talking to if this were someone who was air quotes straight and married and a female client in the workplace had come on to him and the exact same thing happened have uh, Ken Cosgrove fired because he wouldn't sleep with me or I came on to him and now I'm embarrassed and I'm demanding that he be fired right so hypothetically would Don have taken the same approach so that's not a thing because there's no way a woman would say that what a woman would have said then is is he hit on me. That's what the client would have said. There is no scenario where a woman would say, I hit on him and he turned me down. No, no, no. That's not okay. what Lee Garner said. And I'm not saying that's what that's what okay, would good. be said. All right, all right. That's not that's not the point. I'm saying you just just turn Lee Garner into a female client. Rare, but we know it happens. Turn Lee Garner into a female client. You turn Sal into a hetero member of the uh, director of uh, commercial director. The exact same thing happens. And now Sal is sitting in front of Don. Does Don still not believe his employee about what happened? But Sal asked him that. What if it was a girl? And he said, it depends on what kind of girl. He made it very clear. I am judging the kind of person you are because of the kind of person you are. But see, I took that I took that to mean it would it would depend on on not people's sexual proclivity. It would have to do with the people involved. Disagree. Hard disagree. This all he's judging this on is his homosexuality. I'm not saying we know. I'm saying it's still a question. I don't think it's resolved. I do not have a question. So you think this was a homophobic act? This was yes. a interesting. I don't see any. I don't. It is nothing but a homophobic act. Okay. That is the only difference between him and Don Draper. This is a man who doesn't cheat except the one time, and Don sleeps with everybody. And you're and you're to your point, but Don, it's not. It depends on what kind of girl. He said it. It depends on if you're trash or not. And the only thing that puts. Salvatore in the in the trash category in the view of John Draper is that he's a homo. No, it's that he's 
someone who cheated on his wife. No, everybody cheats on their wives. Sal's the only one he's punishing him for. Don doesn't see it all. He sees Roger, but he doesn't see everybody cheat on their wives. He doesn't judge anybody. He doesn't judge any man about this. Okay. Except Sal. When it costs them a client. That's my point. Take one for the team, Sal. Watch the scene again and watch every expression on Don Ham's face through this conversation. It is disgusted. It is dripping with disgust. It is not, I am so sorry. It is hard. It is loathing. It is disgust. Uh It is. He said you people. I know. I know. I I don't, I don't understand where you're even a little bit. I just, I am, I am not a hundred (laughs) percent. Listen, I think that's, I think we're absolutely led to believe that it is Sal. Sal being gay is not a problem for the agency or for Don until it costs them business. And that I think is the issue. Nah. Okay. I think he might've been fired either way, but it would have been a different conversation. And also, by the way, why can't you take Sal a million miles away from that account and let him keep his job? Because he's disgusted. And and because it's a small town and a small business and they have Christmas parties. But if he was going to be disgusted, he would have let him go after Baltimore. If he was truly disgusted, he would have let him go after Baltimore. You got, I think you're missing that he doesn't believe him. He doesn't believe that Lee was the aggressor and that nothing happened. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. He said, "Oh, and nothing happened." No, I get that too, but it confuses me. It doesn't. It doesn't make it land anywhere for me. Not confused. This thing is about a question <laughs> for me. I'm not saying I know. I'm saying I've always been confused by this. Yeah, and it's there's that's it, not a question for me. Okay, this is the end of Sal. This is it. Goodbye, Sal. He's in the the Central Park uh, with the guys at the end of it. He's done. Amazing. Shocking. I think what I don't like about that ending for Sal, that piece, is it It feels so uh, dark and tragic. Everything about it. I got fired. I call my wife. Uh, I'll be home later. And I'll be home late. And then I go to the park and it's seedy and it's sleazy. And all you're getting is Sal's self-loathing in surrendering to this truth about himself. And- I wish that didn't feel so tragic. I wish that I, w- I wish that set, wasn't set up as such a tragedy. The truth is, it's who he is. It's you know he's in a he's in a rough spot. I mean, he's fired, and that sucks. And he's got to come up with a story for his wife, and that sucks. And he's living, you know, he's got a wife, and that sucks. But coming out to yourself, whatever, it doesn't. It, the fact that it's portrayed as dark and tragic is is in itself. Like, do we have to torture Sal like this for being gay at, on, on screen? Could we have given him a win somewhere? Could, you know, we gave him one at the beginning of the season. But that's the point, right? A a early to mid sixties uh, in the closet professional who gets who gets himself in this situation, which we know happened, doesn't have a win on the way down. The wins don't. The wins on the way down, or the way up, or the wins at all in that world don't occur. They weren't there. I think I think they were more focused on accuracy than on some sort of poetic justice. Counterpoint. Recommendation. Uh, Pride is a, a series of either five or six films, uh, documentaries at, at the time of this recording. I've only watched the first episode, which takes you through active, happy, gay life in the 50s. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah. And, and that's like the focus of it is like, I know everybody thinks- that wasn't a thing. And there was plenty of joyful gay people, maybe in the 40s and 50s. Can't remember exactly, but it, it's wonderful. So, I, and I'm not saying I'm not. Yeah, it's a great counterpoint to, to this whole thing. Right? I'm not counterpointing that in this industry, it, you know, it was very closeted and terrible. You know, we don't we don't talk about it and we don't know it. And I just learned it, that there was a lot of just 
joyful, not shame-filled people living their lives with a partner or with lots of partners or whatever. I'd be interested to know how much profession, how much professional life was part of that joy and openness and everything. I would yeah, imagine probably not so much. Right. I think right. So, so I think both things can be true. Is they could be happening concurrently. If gay, if Sal were a little more honest with himself at this point in his life, he might that that might be closer to the, to the life that he had or would have had, rather than being closeted, married, shameful, everything else. And that's where Sal has been, and this, and from the beginning, this is where Sal has been a, a a confusing character for for me because I was the one up until his date with Elliot in season one who was sure that Sal knew he was gay, and he just and that maybe he was living a double, you know, maybe he was he was he was in the park every night and then going to work like this, and it wasn't until we meet Elliot where you're like, oh, he he's really. And it's not like in denial, like he doesn't know he has the feelings, but in denial, like he's made a choice to be in denial. It's been pushed down so deep that, yeah, it's not even consciously there. And then, of course, when we speak with what we spoke with Brian Bat, he, uh, you know, he really got into Confirmed that, yeah, you mm -hmm. know, all the this is how I took it is this is a man who just won't let it be there. But that's what I'm saying. Going to the park, it looked like a death sentence. You know, it it looked like, and it and it. And it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't intended to look like a liberation. Exactly. And Sal could have had a liberation and it would have been hard this day for sure. I will grant you. First of all, he's been sexually harassed and that has an impact. That has an impact that we're not talking about, like being groped in the dark by a horrible bully. And then you're trying to put that past you because it's your deepest shame that it's a man doing this. Then you get fired for it by the one man who you think has your back. Correct. So yeah, this wasn't a day for a liberating moment for Sal, but you know, going to get some in the park, go get some in the park. Was this the first time he went to the park? This is the first time he's gone into the park. He knew where that park was. <laughs> yeah. He just, drove around. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's Hobson, take me around the park. Right. <laughs> so. No, he's lurked. He's lurked, but he's never gone in. But again. Okay. That's probably very, very astute. I would like to have seen him throw his Mary Tyler Moore hat into the <laughs> exactly. air. Like, I'm here. Boys, I'm here. <laughs> right. You're right. Um, I'm late, but I'm here. So let's take a little break. We've got a little Betty Henry to do. We've got a little Don Suzanne to do. Uh, We've also got a little account, uh, account work. What does an account man do? I think we have to talk about that as well. Uh, All righty. After the break. Hey, don't forget to check us out on patreon.com slash theycoinditpod. We have a new extra weekly bonus mini episode where Dan and I come back together after the main episode is up, edited, we've listened to it and we've gone, well, hey, we just thought of more stuff. And that is called, appropriately enough, Eminently Chewable. That is available as like an addendum episode to our patrons over there. It's a great way to support the show. There are also opportunities to participate with us in like a live, we're going to be doing this like live ish zoom special bonus episode with audience q a check it out over there and stay in touch with us you guys are pretty good about that we are over on uh, on the twitter and on the instagram at tci mad men pod and also we're on facebook and we never talk about that but we are we're there we're on facebook hang out there maybe we'll come hang out with you and of course you can email us at questions at theycoinditpod.com pretty sure that's right i should look all right let's get back to it so we'll see now, and it 
spoiler, it, it goes through much of the rest of the series, this idea of what's an account person, both what do they do sort of job description wise, and what is their functional purpose? And you know, you've worked in agencies, Roberta, I've not worked in agencies, but as my job, I work with very closely, very many agencies. So like with the account guy and you would be, and that's who your contact would be. Uh, no, actually, actually not my contact, but I, I, I sell into agencies quite a bit based on events and sponsorships and things. So the structure of agencies is I'm very aware of it um, and work with many parts, including creative, including account and so, and buying and so forth. But regardless, what we see a lot is this, first of all, we, going back to first season, we were given this um, description of the agency Remember from Paul to Peggy, he didn't really talk too much about accounts, but what he did lay out was we make money by by buying advertising for our clients, buying space and time. Creative is a bit of a throw in. That's important because it's not a money maker. It's not something that agencies in the past had charged for. But because of this early 60s and creative revolution, creative became more and more part of the value proposition of the agency to its clients. We've got better copywriters, we've got better artists, we'll make you better ads. So that's a little bit of the setup. However, the account role isn't really discussed in that. The account role is basically uh, functionally to say, um, hey, client, I'm really on your side and I'm going to get these creatives to do what you think we need to do. And then when they go back to the office, they say to creative, hey, creative, I'm really on your side. We're going to get the client to be okay with what it is you've produced. That's very simplistic, broad terms, but you really have to be someone who can be diplomatic and walk the line between selling the ideas that your creative has developed and thinks are best and getting the client to be okay with it and letting them think that they're part of the process where sometimes they don't need to be part of the process. It is a very delicate thing to do. And I think that's what even as casual viewers, we can see what Roger does, right? That Roger's the sort of head account guy. Um, whether or not he has that title, he is the consummate account guy, account man at Sterling Cooper. Yeah. The account person, their job is to sell. That's their whole job. The job is to sell. Everything else you're describing is how the fuck do they do that? <laughs> right? They got to manage the client. They got to manage the team. They represent the team to the client. They let the client think they're representing the all of that. But it's all, it's their job is to sell is to make money. It's a sell after the sale though, right? Because we we think of pitching like winning the client, like, oh, now you're a client of the agency. It's not like at that point, everything just goes swimmingly and whatever the agency produces gets placed. Correct. There is still a huge sale, selling process of here's the idea for your campaign. Do you like it? Do you hate it? Do, do we need to go back and with another round? And the account person is that intermediary between the account, excuse me, between the client and the creative where the ideas are pitched and created to, uh, we got to all agree on something. So you're right, it's a sales job, but you may not know that it's it, there's a, there's selling getting them into the agency and then there's a, a continual selling process to get good ads produced and placed. That's right. Boom. And to your point also, good ads is new. <laughs> is a newer- Exactly. Newer, and we are really watching from the very beginning of this series, the creative renaissance where you know when you when you say the 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 creative is just thrown in that is such an affront to me but you're but, but that's right that's the, that's part of the transition it was value add yeah in the 60s right we're yeah, watching correct. from the ad doesn't count to it gets very you know where sexy starts being a word they use go look at magazine ads which 
was like the biggest, the most voluminous amount of, you know, creative being done. Magazine ads from the 50s, before this revolution took place, it was two thirds of the page was a boring black and white picture. The bottom third was copy, paragraph after paragraph of copy you had to read. And it was functional this, and we do that, and our product does this. And that's all these things that the manufacturer thinks are important that consumers could care less about. And the black and white picture was like, what we what we see now is like clip art, like bad, <laughs> right. you know, early two thousands clip art. Someone using the camera, someone using the you know, putting on the shirt or whatever. Exactly, horrendous lacked stuff. But nuance. this <laughs> lacked anything interesting. But this was the way the culture was from the fifties into the sixties, and that's you begin to see how it all fits together. So what does an account person do? We just went over that. So what does that mean in this episode? You're seeing a lot of you know. Like Connie says, when he when he becomes a client, you know, the lawyers will take care of the contracts. Everything else is between you and me, meaning almost like Don takes that to mean, all right, I'm now the account guy. I get to sell my own ideas into Connie. What's better than that? I can do that. That's the Hilton part of it. Now, you've also got Lucky Strike and you've got an abusive, yes, bullying client who has this situation where. He wants to get closer to the creative process, which he does with Sal and looking over his shoulder and I can do this. And, you know, when my dad weren't around, I would be a film director. Who the fuck knows? But there's that 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 blurring of the line of what is the role of the account person? Do we even need an account person? And of course, you you really need an account person. And in these two examples, these two client cases, you see the the lack of an account person leads to disaster, which is what Roger is telling Don. We've had two clients in one week leave here angry, important clients. Now, what you want this place to be known for? That and some guy losing his foot in a lawnmower? I want to put you on notice. You are in over your head. What does an account person do? If I'm doing it well, you don't know what the fuck I do, right? Like so many other things. If I'm doing it well, <laughs> like editing a podcast. If we're doing it well, we don't we don't recognize it. But when an account person is doing their job, it is a it is, you know, conducting the orchestra. And that's what this episode highlights. And we get to it again. We touches on it a few, few times later in the in the series, and they do it well. But I think this is kind of the the touch point, the the um, the origin for a lot of that discussion around this this series as to what an account person does, and they they do it really brilliantly. I just have to say, it has to, has to be called out that that I think is a little bit more the grand theme of all these pieces of of plot coming together, a lot of it comes around, what does an account person do and what is that function? With Don and Connie in particular, there's this whole, obviously there's the whole mind fuck, there's the whole daddy thing, father son that, that we touched on, but there's, there is also this, why is, why, you know, well, not why so much, but what you're seeing is that I think because of that father son mind fuck that Dick Whitman is dealing with over there, mm -hmm. he's handling it himself. And no, and nobody has nobody is stopping him, and he's probably not talking much to Roger or anybody else. Nobody knows his phone is ringing at three in the morning. Exactly, that's what Roger says. You won't even let me meet him for Christ's sake. Yeah, it's it's um, it's bone on bone, no cartilage. Just like when we get into the conference room, they're presenting this idea, and it is a damn good. Anybody watching it knows that's really good. How do you say hamburger and whatever it was? That's great. Really good. And Connie is a difficult client. 
you need an account person there. That's the cartilage. That's what keeps the two bones from rubbing together. You don't want Don, who's a terrific salesman. Let's We've seen it a million times. And that's why it's difficult to pick up on this if you're not really aware of the agency structure that we just talked about. You think Don can sell anything. You think, oh, Don can get make it work and he's going to whiz bang Don, Connie out of his socks. Well, maybe when he's making him an old fashioned behind the bar, but not when it comes to this. Now you've got a prickly client and it's not like, oh, he's difficult or oh, like we've seen him with the Bell Jolie guy or talking someone off the ledge. We've we're past that. This is now the fucking, you know, this guy's in Cooperstown. Right. And that is not something Don has dealt with before. He's asking, I told you I want the moon and I want this and I want, and it's who the hell could handle that? Well, you need a Roger in there to be the go-between, to interpret each side, make everybody feel good. Don couldn't see, and I think Roger would have seen, that this guy is going to ask for the actual moon and, and he would have been able to anticipate that crazy and he would have been able to intervene and, and handle it and maybe give him the moon and, and maybe give him, a, give him one with the moon. And one with the hamburger. Let him think he's getting the moon is really is really it. Go back to the lunch with uh, Madison Square Garden and Roger's charming the trying to charm the pants off the client who they convinced to sit down and have lunch with and uh, and Roger kind of tees it up and then goes Don, <laughs> you know, kind of the obvious handoff. But that's what it is. It's it's letting Don's work exist in the most positive, flattering light to be sold, to be accepted, to be bought. There's no one to do that in that room with Hilton. When Connie starts with, uh, you know, his bullshit while everyone's still in the room, you can see the guys behind him start shifting in their chairs. <laughs> They're like, oh, shit, the old man's the old man's doing the number again. And uh, you, you, it's too late at that point. It's too late. We didn't prepare for this. The right people are not in the room for this. I'm going to end up taking this on the chin. Everyone get out. The fuck, Connie? And you just Don's hopeless in that situation. What do you want? Love? I mean, you wouldn't say that to Roger if you were there because Roger can be dis not dispassionate, but he's not all caught up in this daddy issue bullshit, which was, you know, Connie was setting him up to 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 whack him down again. I mean, you're like a son to me, to which he says, thank you. I mean it. And it was really like, yeah, that's he Dick meant it. That's, that's Dick right. Whitman. Yeah. So that can't be if we're going to discuss this episode that cannot be overlooked because that is a to me that that that's the if there is a through line it's that to everything because we've got so many other segments of what's going on so anyway one of those segments by the way don segway <laughs> segway <laughs> well first of all he asked you know the first time he sees suzanne is when he's legitimately called and woken up by connie and he sees her running and don drops her off at the house wacky like a block away or something. Like a block yeah. away. She won't give him, she won't let him know where she lives. Where are you go? Where are you going? Home. Let me give you a ride. <laughs> no, the the actual running is right. the point. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're not getting this. Don then invents a call from Connie <laughs> that because he has such a shitty day, because you know, Connie's pulling his bullshit. Uh the phone doesn't ring, but he tells Betty, I've got to go back in. Connie just called. Uh-oh. Because he knows he can find her. Well, what is she doing up at three in the morning is what I want to know. <laughs> she's ready with a drink or something or whatever she's got. Wacky shit there. But let's just suspend our disbelief on that for a moment. And he goes right to her house. She's not running. Um, and that all happens. And I don't quite, maybe you can help me with this, Roberta. I don't quite get their whole conversation. Is she, because everything she says is like true. 
you know, am I, am I so different or am I just the same? Or says the man as he's unzipping his fly, like she's calling him out, like left, she's landing haymakers on him in this conversation. Yeah, that's her thing. That's what she does. I hate her. I hate. Well, we know you hate her, but let's, we have to talk about it. What she does is say all the right things. Also, yes. So (laughs) it's not that I hate her. It's that I hate this. It's that I hate them. First of all, when he shows up at the door, he's, he's very now pushy and we've never seen him do anything. He's always the seduced one. Inappropriate in that way. But, and maybe, maybe it's because we just saw what happened with Pete and the nanny, but that that's a little scary. And maybe also it is this lack of chemistry between them. And again, if you can't have chemistry with John Hamm, maybe it's you. Is is what I'm saying. As, so maybe uh, it is the actress, right? I, you know, <laughs> so. I think that what he was first drawn to about Suzanne in that first Maypole scene is something else. Is something not sexual? I think mm-hmm. there's something spiritual there. No, we listen. We we don't like this about Don. We don't like seeing Don be aggressive in this way. We don't like the fact that it's Sally's teacher, former teacher. We, we like seeing Don respond to being pursued which is what it's mostly been. Rachel was a little different, but she was as into it as he was. Bobby Barrett was a whole different ball of wax. This is him literally being a lech and a pursuer, even a stalker by going right to her house. And it all feels awful. And and she's and she's awful too. And she's been a little stalky. And we, I mean, she's she, not stalky, yeah. but she she drunk dialed him. And, and, and then the weird mixed messages that we talked about yeah. at the um, eclipse. So it would have been really awesome to have this not turn sexual. And in one way, I blame the, I wish the writers hadn't done it. Um, although I guess there needs to be a lover every season, but I'll, you know, which that's fair. They don't have to give up on the storyline of getting them together though, <laughs> which they did. I mean, <laughs> what are we going to do to get them together? Oh, fuck it. Let's just have, have them go to her house in the middle of the night. Stupid. But I mean, I think what we're watching, if I'm, if I'm going to try to fit it into the plausi- some plausibility going back to the premise that he is a sex addict or a sex and relationship addict is yeah. I think really what we're seeing. It's getting worse. Correct. It is the, it is Sally's, I guess now former teacher, but still, you know, a mile from home. He's never done that. He is now pissing in his own pond. That is what happens with addiction. You know, in the in the language of of in the language of drug and alcohol addiction and 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 all of them, anything you haven't done, like I would never do that. I would never go there. You you need to always add the word yet. Right. And people talk about hit. You need you need to hit bottom. There's always another bottom until you're dead. If I'm supposed to buy it as he loves her, (laughs) his feelings for her. If I'm supposed to buy into that, well, I I can't. But but if I look at it this way and he's just picking the next one and it's just it's just it's got to he's try- it's going to be less and less artful. It's going to be less and less artful. Right. And this is Don right. trying to if you want to you know, call Bobby Barrett artful. Yeah, I love Bobby Barrett. This is this is um this is Don both trying to feel more and not feel anything. That's Don's whole oh, clearly thing. And Don is feeling he's self, very. He's, he's self-medicating after the whole Connie thing, for sure. Yeah, he's feeling absolutely terrible about himself. His dad just rejected him. No, there's dominoes everywhere. Sal went to the park. Don went to Suzanne's. To Right. He went to his daughter's teacher. I think every scene we've seen her say the thing she thinks that she's supposed to say about why this is a bad idea and why and all of this crap. And it's just all her nonsense. 
it's all her prelude to yes. And that's what every <laughs> fucking rapist thinks everybody's saying anyway. So it's, I can't believe that just came out my mouth. But that is what she's doing. But it is. That is clearly that's what, what she's, she's doing. doing. All right. I checked with my husband about the fundraiser. The fundraiser? Yes, we'd be glad to do that. How's Tuesday the 17th? Can you make it then? I guess you're going through with this. I had to. So, you know, earlier we'd seen where Betty begs off saying, no, this is tawdry, whereas Don jumps right into tawdry. Henry does this ridiculous gesture of uh, just knocking on Betty's door, right? Again, total white guy power move, by the way, because I don't know what the, you know, that's only something he could do. There's a whole world of her with the letter and is anybody reading it? And then another letter and he comes right. to her and then she has to go to him because I couldn't come to you, except you already did. It's a lot of back and forth. It's a Victorian about- novel and we don't really need <laughs> all that. just nonsense. I mean, I get it, but it's, oh God. But but that is what happened. They're writing the letters and it is rather courtship type stuff. Her, her way of spilling her heart is to say, I do have thoughts. So- <laughs> You know. And those thoughts were, and go back to the opening of the episode, which is Henry all getting on her on the chase. And then it's and then it turns out it's a it's a dream, not a fantasy. But he comes to visit her. He has to cover up because Carla smells sex in the air that they're going to do a fundraiser. She then has to play it through, has the fundraiser. <laughs> it's not fundraiser. him. <laughs> it's right. It's Elsa Kittredge uh, who comes. That casting. I that love great, Elsa Kittredge. It? Oh, my God. Is it? Right, totally. Six foot two. <laughs> Love her. Yeah, she absolutely looks like she looks she would work in the governor's office. In nineteen sixty three. Yep. Yeah, the the casting director gets always. <laughs> so many of these characters are so wonderfully perfect cast. So then she has to go up to Albany to yell at him and throw the money box in his face, and it's all very you know again Victorian sort of whatever. But the the thing that he comes back with is you had to come to me. I couldn't after I've come to you. I can't come to you and I'm not going to tell you I'm not coming to you again, but you're going to come to me. And that's how the, it's so it's kind of crazy. I think it was all just getting to that point where she could, where they would start getting it on and she would say, no, this is tawdry and begs off. I mean, that's, that's really what this is about for her. And I admire this about Betty while she loves being admired and loves being adored and getting the center of attention. She's, she's not begging for Henry's attention. She loves it, but she's not, She's not, she's very respectful of who he is because she's legitimately impressed by him. And I, th- I've always liked this relationship, even this part of it, as silly as this episode plays it. I've always liked what they have to do to get together under mm-hmm. these circumstances. And it's, it plays out very well. She's legitimately not easy. <laughs> like she's not playing hard to get. She's legitimately, you know, I don't want to do tawdry. I, I want you, but I, but what do we do about that? She's mm-hmm. she's yeah, some hotel you know, on your desk, right? Yeah. She's she's really thinking that piece through and going, I don't know. I this doesn't work for yeah, me. This, th- yeah. this is not me. She's right. absolutely it's not my, playing. It's my, my husband, dad. but she's, it's not me. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Who do you think I am? Don, Henry. Um, so right, and that's and that's really where where it all comes down. They have to figure this out some other way. Boom. You know, to cut 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 to the next episode as far as they're concerned. So that's really what happens in the episode. That's that's where they land. And you know it's not over, but we don't know. We don't see how it's going to continue just yet. Yeah, we don't. All right, let's do quotes when we come back. Let's take a break. Connie says to Don, "You're my angel." You know that? I think he says that right before 
you're like a son to me. More than once, Don has described Betty as mm-hmm. like an angel. Dick Whitman has never been anybody's angel. Angel, correct. And that got him all the way in the fields. <laughs> sure like did. that really, that was, that was, that was some lubricant right there. Dan, what's your quote, Dan? Well, it goes back to the the whole account discussion. I love just the impossibility of Connie saying to Don, I expect the moon. You're going to tell me I don't get the moon? Let's go. Moon. Moon it up for me. Moon Where's me. the moon? Moon me. <laughs> moon, moon's over my hammy, Donnie. There's the irrationality of the whole, everything is tied up in that. Um, someone with a straight face saying, do the impossible and and how you respond to that. How the fuck do you respond to I want the moon, right? I expect the moon. I expect the moon. That's right. That, the exact, I expect the moon. So yeah, I, we've gone over the, the whole account bit, but th- th- that that encapsulates the whole thing. You need you need someone who can answer that question, who can respond to that without getting fucking fired. <laughs> and Don barely scrapes by. Wild ride, wild Good. wild ride. I like this episode. You didn't, but I do. I think there are two categories of how to not, you know of not liking an episode. There's I think it's a weak episode and there's very few of those, a weaker episode and there's very few of those. And this is not one of those. And then there's, this makes me uncomfortable because I don't like hanging out with these circumstances. I mean, there was, you know, just Sal's story alone, there was a lot to be, to make me uncomfortable. And I understand uncomfortable is, is perfectly good art. I'm just, I just don't like being that kind of uncomfortable, you know? I mean, I watch Handmaid's Tale, right? It's not like I'm, I'm all about comfort food these days, (laughs) but yeah. All right. I loved it. I loved it all. Especially when it's all got fired. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> That's so. my favorite part. God, Brian Bat's acting in that scene. You could watch it's that again. Great. That is a masterclass. It's hard. The whole it's it is it is hard to watch. It's hard to watch someone's life quite literally crumble around them. It's not fun to imagine what that feels like. Because this is every it's every fury. It, it confirms the whole reason he's so suppressed to begin with. All right, we already talked about it. I'm gonna stop talking about it. So next week is the color blue color blue we're getting places yes we are yes <laughs> like, we are shit's gonna fly so yeah listen more great stuff this season more great episodes to talk about a couple surprises along the way that we'll have for you which we're excited to talk about when we will we are doing extra weekly addendum episodes over on our patreon so there will be more on we small hours over at patreon for our subscribers so check it out you don't have to we love you anyway just saying Thanks, everybody. See you next time. Hey, Coiners. We're so glad you're enjoying the show. One of the best ways to support us is to give us rave reviews on Apple Podcasts and to share us on social media. A great way to literally support us is at our Patreon, where we've got some extra content. Patreon.com slash theycoinditpod. If you're able, we love you either way. And we love your comments and your questions. Bring them on. Questions at theycoinditpod.com or find us on Instagram, Twitter, at TCI Mad Men Pod. We've got a lot more Mad Men to get to and we can't wait. See you next episode.